Ahoy, hoy, everybody. Welcome to Out of the Podcast, the pilot episode. Uh, we are going to talk noir movies and, and figure it out from there. This is the episode you're going to listen to and be like, wow, they didn't figure it out yet. This became so much better. Uh, so let's laugh about it from the future. And we're going to introduce ourselves. Dan, would you like to? Uh... Sure. My, my name is Dan. And uh, I was trying to think about right before we started, I was trying to think of like when you know, when we, you and I met, but also like how film noir came up into discussion, like how much like, you know, it's just like the discovery of it. And I, I feel like this is a good maybe start of where we go. Like, yeah. I was thinking about like how, again, I was trying, I feel like it was after a show that you came to, if I remember, like, I think like Brian Meats had said something and it was like, I can oh. guarantee it was you and I have never met outside of a show for the longest time, pretty much until COVID hit. <laughs> probably, that's probably true. So most, it's yeah, most hard to run into each other otherwise. Yes, but I was thinking about that. I was like, yeah, it's, it's interesting like when you kind of learn that about someone, cause like I only have like probably a couple of friends that like, like once you find out like they're like into film noir, it's like you have that like instant like connection. I would say that's a, uh, uh, most of the reason why this podcast exists because it was like, finally, uh, there's someone who is into this stuff, uh, you know, is intelligent enough to talk to about it and, and just really gets it. Uh, so, I was, you know, this was a dream come true that you're into that and uh, that we can do this. Totally. I'm into it. So, so, yeah, I do remember it being a show. It might have been like a Criterion sale. Like, I feel like that had gone down. It's like, oh, what'd you get? And, you know, just noir or something like that I, I can't quite remember but it, it happened quick for sure I, I feel like it, it probably started with Brian being like oh like Dan Joey's also really into into, into movies and like I get, <laughs> it was like it was probably something like very just like general like that and it just kind of like we started kind of maybe going back and forth or something something probably along those lines totally cool man but we did it we did it. We're, uh, here, we're here and, and we, we're doing we it. We did it. And today's movie, when we get into it, I do remember uh, that that was mentioned uh, during that conversation. You know, I think we both have favorites in this genre, uh, which we'll, we'll get into in a moment. But this this one had come up and uh, that was like, a, as soon as I heard that, I'm like, ooh, doing a little, uh, little detour. <laughs> love a detour. I, I always love a detour, especially with film noir. So I'm, I'm, yeah, you know, I always love those like, little twists. Detour is like, it's an introduction in many ways to noir. Like it, it comes up in the conversation pretty quickly uh, as, as one of the greats. Definitely. Yeah. And, and it's just, I, I think it's just a really good example like of film noir. Like I feel like it kind of has a little bit of everything, everything from the, you know, the low budget aesthetic to just, you know, the plot points, just the way the characterizations are, just everything about it. I feel like it yep. very much encapsulates like, you know, everything that film noir is. So I think it's a really good, you know, jumping off point. So do you want to talk a little about how we got into, uh, into noir? A uh, couple of young men like ourselves into these old, old movies? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, I think for me, I think we were kind of talking about it earlier. It's, it's tough to remember like the exact moment that like I did, like, I feel like Maltese Falcon was the first one I ever saw, but I think okay. the one that really and I feel like this is probably the case for a lot of people. I, I, had, a, I had a film class uh, in college. I only took one film class because I was actually a history major. So I just took a film class oh. just because I was interested in it. And uh, the professor showed Double Indemnity. And I feel like oh, that, I, yeah, and I feel like, you know, that's, uh, again, that's such a, you know, well-known one and, and one that gets talked about pretty often. And, and you know, it's worthy of that because it's a great, obviously great film. But I think I remember Rightly watching so. that and I was just like, wow, like this movie's awesome. Like just really kind of like connecting with it. 
you know, I got to say my story is, is, is quite similar, if not damn near exact, uh, other than like my, mine was in high school uh, from two different classes. Um, I took a detective fiction class because it was the, quote, easy credit. And, you know, Sounds I was good down, to to go, down to go for it. You know, I wish I could, of course, go back and retake it because I'm way more interested in all this stuff now uh, than I was at the time. But they tried the Maltese Falcon and it was okay, but it wasn't necessarily, it didn't grab me. Uh, but then I also took film studies and we went over noir briefly and we watched double indemnity and uh that movie is very effective still to this day it is great yeah and a lot a lot of uh copycats too there's a lot yep. of like 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 and i feel like a lot gets compared to that because that kind of set like a i guess like a standard you know trope within noir yeah. with with you know a lot of the you know what, what went on in that plus you know edward g robinson's in it too which is you know he's like a staple of all those movies so of course. yeah no it's, it's a that's another great uh jumping off point it's 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 kind of funny that we both kind of that's like a, a very like pivotal movie for both of us yeah definitely it it, it it's still good and I, you know when i show people noir it, it comes up pretty early too because it is like you said like the blueprint to the genre it's relatively that was early good. on yeah yeah and then also uh touch of evil we watched uh we did there was like an after school extra credit program in film studies and, and we did touch of evil and uh that was another one that that really was just like I, I like this genre but i didn't really get deep into it until uh years later and it was actually because of comic books weirdly enough that's interesting that's interesting yeah i, yeah. I had been out of comic i grew up loving comic books and and drawing them and then around high school i got really into to music and, and punk rock and rock and roll and, and going on tour and things like that so my life and focus kind of became uh all that until my like uh early kind of mid-20s I just kind of walked back into a comic shop. I always liked Daredevil and there was a Daredevil cover that uh, really interested me and I went for it and I, I liked it a lot. And it was written by a writer, Ed Brubaker, and he had just come out with a creator-owned comic called Criminal and it was just all crime comics noir based and it was amazing. And in the back of the issues, they would have essays about movies they liked that influenced them. And I would just seek out these movies and, and was blown away by it. And from then on, I was just all in on noir. That's awesome. Yeah, that's an interesting way to like get into that. But like it, it makes yeah. sense. It makes sense in a way, though, because I feel like a lot of comics, you know, probably, you know, even coming from like the pulp, you know, fiction era of novels and either getting, you know, adapted later on to comics or just influencing comics, you know, mm -hmm. thinking about like The Shadow or, you know, Dick Tracy or just any any sure. any of those kind of take a lot from that so I, I feel like that's that's kind of interesting yeah it was kind of you know in the works you know in my blood the whole time just I had no idea that it was there you know it was under the know, surface underlying. the whole time yeah exactly uh but you know as all good things are you know you should you should be trying to work in other influences and mediums no matter what kind of uh, genre or medium you're in totally and I, I think for me um you know and partly why I wanted to pick uh this movie detour as, as the first movie we talk about is cause it, I mean, obviously it's one of my favorites, but uh, also because I think this was a very pivotal movie for me because this kind of, when I finally did see this film, um, this is what kind of pushed it over for me. Like, like seeing this mm -hmm. film. Um, and I actually found out about it because um, the director, Richard Linklater, who did like days and confused and, and sure. before movies, he, um, his production company is called detour productions. And it's oh. named after the film because he was a huge fan of the film. And that was, and I was a fan of his movies kind of going, you know, growing up. So, you know, when I saw that and I, and I read about that being 
what he named it after. I was like, oh, it's a film noir. And I, I started to kind of read about it. I'm like, oh, this sounds cool. And then I, I was able to find like a, a really bad public domain uh, yeah. version of it, which is the way that you could like, only really see it. Archive.org, I believe. Uh, you could always find a downloaded detour, scratched up print. Um, I think that's how most of us had seen it was just some sort of public domain version of it. Uh, but it, because it was so accessible. I mean, as soon right. as you heard about it, you, you could find it and, you know, it was never good looking, never a good print, but you, you gave it a shot and that movie will draw you in instantly as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it was even on YouTube at one point. I think I saw you, it. Oh, like, yeah. yeah, it's I like, imagine. It's, yeah, yeah. Still um, should be on YouTube, you know? We yeah. could all make a de detour print. I mean, I don't think we'll get better than the Criterion one, but, you know. Exactly. We'll, I mean, we'll get into that, too. <laughs> exactly. Well, that, that, yeah, that kind of leads me into my next, my next thing is that, you know, once, you know, we found out, I remember we, we talked about it when it, it was announced that Criterion was going to be putting out a, you know, a, a new... Uh, I think it's a four 4k. Yeah. It's a 4k digital restoration. Nice. Um, it just, yeah, I was, I was beside myself. I thought it was going to be the coolest thing ever. And, and it, and it looks fantastic. I mean, watching, I watched it last night and like, I, I've seen it a couple of times off the, the, the Blu-ray and it just looks amazing. So did you, I, I, uh, know every time I'm watching the criterion version, I've been watching it in the channel, uh, as well as, as the Blu-ray. So for those looking to stream, it is in the criterion channel, uh, as, and also YouTube, as we just said, but yes, you know, different different quality ranges. But there's an intro uh, before the film starts about the restoration. The George Lucas family uh, foundation was involved. I'd be so curious to know his relationship with Detour. Uh, yeah, it was like from uh, I believe like a French print, but with subtitles. And then they just kind of superimposed it over a different print, and then kind of digitally painted the the result below. You know, everything below to kind of bring it up to the top quality, which is crazy. That's it, it's so insane and involved. And I guess it takes George Lucas Disney money to uh, pull off such a thing because it, it's phenomenal seeing this movie from that YouTube grainy quality, like 150p, like whatever the first P was. That's what this, this uh, file always was. And now it's, it's gorgeous. Just gorgeous. Yeah, I... And and I think we talked about it uh, when we were you know, getting things started last week. But um, when the, they were touring the restoration around to theaters, and uh, the Princeton Garden Theater was showing it, um, and I was very excited. Yeah, yeah, New Jersey. Yeah, I, should, I guess we're I should in the mention, East Coast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I should I should probably be more specific for the listeners that yes, we are on the East Coast, and we and yeah, so, uh, uh, New Jersey and Philadelphia. Uh, we'll try not to bring it up anymore. <laughs> we could be anywhere right now yeah so that's what i mean we're in a bunker in uh usa yep somewhere Try find us exactly um and uh yeah so in, in in the garden theater and uh they were showing it and i i drove up to uh to see it and the um it was it was pretty pretty full you know i wouldn't say packed house but you know a decent decent amount of people showing up sure. and and the um i guess the host that was that was doing the entire event uh you know, kind of said, Hey, you know, show of hands who's seen this film before. And, uh, I was the only person that raised the hand because everyone else that had been there <laughs> had never seen it before. And I thought that was really interesting wow. and really cool just to be, you know, in, you know, a, a theater kind of seeing it through other people, you know, obviously strangers, I didn't know anybody, but just kind of sure. seeing, you know, maybe some reaction or, or just, you know, being in an experience where like, wow, these people get to experience, experience it for the first time on, on the big screen, which was an event in and of itself. I mean, for me, having seen it many different times with many different 
varying degrees of, of quality, it was really cool to see it like on a huge screen, uh, especially with yeah. some of the limitations of, of, of the, um, the set pieces, which we'll get into later, later on in, in the podcast, which are, sure. are very interesting. And some of my favorite things of why I love this film so much is, uh, is how they're able to do so much with so little. Um, so I, I think it really adds. Should we it. get into it? Yeah, I, I think, I, I think, feel, our... I feel like we're ready. I, I feel like we'd, we've done a wonderful lead up. Uh, everyone has been riveted and ready to talk uh, detour. When did the Criterion uh, edition come out? Was it last year or the year before? It was 2019. So yeah, 2019. Out, so yeah, this thing year. is still pretty fresh. Um, you know, look for it in the next half off Barnes and Noble sale. Uh, what is that? March probably. The next one. So they usually do it. They do it July and November. Um, oh, and, okay. then, and then Criterion so does the flash the sales. Yeah, yes. the, yeah, they do website ones randomly, and that's just like whenever they decide to do that. So there you go. So yeah, keep your well, eyes uh, on your uh, social media feeds for when you can get it, or you know what, pay full price. It deserves it. Uh, it costs a lot of money, I'm sure. I would recommend it for any any collection. Um, there you go. But yeah, I think a good yeah, and and getting with that, I think a good start maybe to this film um, would be the. Uh, uh, I feel like Criterion, whoever writes for their uh, descriptions of films are usually pretty good. I, and uh, yes. I think that might be a good place to start. So I, I can't yeah. credit the person that wrote it, but I will, I will at least read what it says on the Peter the Criterion. Peter, wrote. yes, Mr. Criterion. <laughs> so Detour was released in 1945, uh, directed by Edgar G. Ulmer. And here's the description. It says, from Poverty Row came a movie that perhaps more than any other epitomizes the dark fatalism at the heart of film noir. As he hitchhikes his way from New York to Los Angeles, a down-in-his-luck nightclub pianist, played by Tom Neal, finds himself with a dead body on his hands and nowhere to run, a waking nightmare that goes from bad to worse when he picks up the most vicious femme fatale in cinema history, Anne Savage's snarling, uh, monstrously conniving drifter, Vera. so perfect description. Exactly, right? Working with no-name stars on a bargain basement budget, B. Autor Edgar G. Ulmer turned threadbare production values and seedy low-rent atmosphere into indelible pulp poetry. Long unavailable in a format in which its hard-boiled beauty can be fully appreciated, Detour haunts anew in its first major restoration. Wow, that was great. Right? And that's, um, that's why I was like, this is, this is a perfect start. It's just like, it's, it says it all. It's nice when they do the work for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, did you want to just maybe uh, explain a little bit about Poverty Row for those who are uh, not familiar with? Sure. So uh, back in the back in the day, the way day um, before your and I is time, <laughs> there was. The... I've been around since forever, so speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, just a little bit longer than I have. Um, I was at the premiere of Detour, and uh, oh, you were fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. Wow. You'll have to tell me about that later, maybe off. You know, off, yeah, uh, not for the podcast. Exactly, exactly not for the too, podcast. A little too blue. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> that would be for the follow-up. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, so there was the idea of like the major studios. So there's like Universal and and Warner Brothers and all these major studios. Still and, an RKO at this time. Yeah, an RKO. Yes, RKO. Yeah. See, we know stuff. We, yeah, we, we do. We're yeah, well versed in film collectively yes um and I, i'm sure at some point we'll definitely get in some rko films on the podcast yeah you know, because yeah, we absolutely of, will really because the the film uh that this or yes we will i'm not spoiling anything yeah no, no spoilers <laughs> just yet um and uh and then there were these um uh smaller scale studios that typically turned out b movies so you know when you would have films back in the day typically it would be a double bill so you know especially during the 30s and 40s um so you would have you know the a 
bill, which would be the, you know, the first movie. So you usually get like one from the major studios and then you get the, the B movie and you'd probably have like a newsreel probably in between too. Um, or like a, maybe a short or something like that in between the movies. And then you have a B yes. movie, which typically had to be shorter. So usually anywhere from like 50 to like 72 minutes, somewhere, somewhere in, around those lines. Um, but rarely I'd say up to an hour and a half and they would be usually considerably less lesser quality or someone you know might say comparatively to the quote unquote a film um sure. but in a lot of cases i feel like the b movies were maybe just as good if not better um so yeah so th- so poverty row was basically a um kind of a nickname that was given to some of the i guess the the studios that were kind of churning out these low budget films like there was monogram there's prc who released this movie there's republic I feel like I'm missing one. There's, there's definitely like one or two more, but those are three of the, the, the big ones I can think of off the top of my head. But but yeah, but this one was released by um, PRC, which is a Producers Releasing Corporation, I think. I think that's what I think that's what it's called. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that, I think that's pretty much it in, in a in a short brief. It is produce, Producers Releasing Corporation, indeed. And I, I'm also going to say I will spoil the movie I alluded to because I just wanted to make sure I was going to make a fool of myself and recorded audio uh, out of the past. The what we're named after this podcast was an RKO picture. Correct. And I was pretty sure I remembered that, but of course, you know, hey, this is the first show. Or, you know, you don't want to make a fool of yourself. Exactly. But we're coming out number one as always. Real time fact checking. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We're, we're coming in professional. Uh, all right, so let, let's let's get into this nitty gritty of a movie. Cool. So what it, I guess what I would think about first is what is there one scene in particular that you really love that you think you're really like, wow, like this is my favorite like scene or, or best part. Is there one thing that you can actually pinpoint in this movie that like really jumps out to you saying like, this is like my favorite part? Anything with Vera as played by Ann Savage, uh, I think she is just so good. And like, like they said on the back of the box, like she snarls uh, and, and just like has an anger in her eyebrows and she, she can, she will boss you around. And uh, yeah, I don't know anything with her. She just had some great lines. Where'd you hide the butts? On the table, sucker. On the table, sucker. <laughs> <laughs> don't I get a whistle? Well, do I write a whistle? Things like that. Uh, so, so good um uh, and you know of course like it's it's a hitchhiking movie so any kind of like hitchhiking scene um which it opens right up with yeah they're they're, they're great yeah i mean yeah. The, the fact that and the fact that i was thinking about that watching it last night the fact that you know and there's even i think in one of the uh, extras i was watching one of the, a, a writer that wrote i guess i think he wrote a, a novel like a biography about edgar g Ulmer, the director uh he mentioned that it's interesting that you know film noir is typically you know it, it's it's you know dark setting but most of this takes place in the daytime and it's at, yeah. out the, it's out in the open it's not i mean some of it was filmed in a studio but there's a lot of scenes Absolutely. where they're actually on location which is interesting for the time period and for the yeah. budget um that that they did that totally um i mean it's it's a road movie it's probably the greatest hitchhiking movie of all time uh and and so you're starting from new york and you're headed to california so the, the main character al roberts is played by tom neal um he, he uh he's yeah piano player right Correct. He's a piano player, and then his girlfriend yeah. is a singer at a uh, it's a nightclub in New York City. Yes. And there is a, a reoccurring song that uh, keeps coming up. Uh, yes. Your eyes are blue, your kisses too. I never knew what they could do. I can't believe that you're in love with me. You're telling everyone you know that I'm on your mind each place. 
they can't believe that you're in love with me. I have always placed you far above me. I just can't imagine that you love me. And after all is said and done, to think that I'm the lucky one, I can't believe that you're in love with me. And I can't think of the name of it now. Do, do you know anything to the song? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and I like that it's a theme throughout. And I think that's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of films yeah. that do that in that genre, like Laura, like a theme from Laura is like a big, you know, theme throughout. And, and you know, it's, it's pretty much in a lot sure. of the, these films, but it's one that kind of haunts throughout. Yeah. We've all have a, a popular song that, you know, shows up on the radio that takes us back to those uh, more moments in our life. Very relatable. Totally. Getting um, the wrong song on the jukebox when you're just trying to enjoy a, a coffee. Yep. Which turns into a giant cup of coffee when it, when it transitions into the, uh, when, it, <laughs> when he goes into the dream sequence. And, 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 and I, I, I thought about it more last night when I, when I looked at it, cause like, I guess I never really paid too close attention to it, but I kind of, it yeah. kind of jumped out to me as, as, as I was watching it, uh, which was interesting. <laughs> I, I watched yeah. it last night. Like I thought about it, like, it's interesting st- little stuff that you catch that um, I've seen the movie, you know, more times than I can count. And I just never, I never really, you know, honed in on that or thought about it as much. Totally. I mean, these are the kind of movies you need to, especially if they're good, uh, you know, watch them over and over again, because it's always a different experience. You know, you're kind of just trying to take it in the first time. And then anything after that, you can see more of the set dressing and things like that. Extras doing crazy stuff, you know, all the, all the good stuff, big cups of coffee, big cups of coffee. These are the good things of film. This is what it's all about. Just that big cup of Java, baby. And when we talk about big cup of coffee, it's actually a large, gigantic mug. I just want to be, yes. I want to be totally clear for those who, who, <laughs> who may be unsure that we're talking about a, it's not, it's not hyperbole. It's legitimately a large cup of coffee. And, uh, and this think, movie is being told through flashback. Uh, it's important yes. to know. And it, and that's a, a trope. Uh, do you like your, your noirs as a flashback? I do. I, I do. I, I think sometimes, you know, there's that element. And then there's the, the noir where, it was all a dream or it was all, or it was all made up or something like that. There's always like, the, like there, there's yes. like a, a little bit of both, you know, kind of. Do you like throughout. those ones? I, I find myself often disappointed with them, especially because I've had such a good time at, with the ride. And, and, you know, it's almost like an internal noir of like, Oh no, I, I got the, the bad end of it, it this time. I'd say typically I would agree. I think it depends on how much I enjoy the story. Like, like if, if, yes. if, if it makes sense enough for, the film where it makes you think about it in a different way, I can be okay with it. Like I'm not, I'm not going to completely write it off, but typically, yeah, it, it can be underwhelming. I will, I will agree with yes. you that, that it tends to kind of like take the wind out of the, the proverbial sail, you know, after watching, cause you get kind of like drawn in and they're like, Oh yeah, no, never mind. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was all a dream. I mean, you know, I think it was all a dream in general. It doesn't matter what genre it is, can be a bit of a bummer, but when it works, you know, it, that just shows how good the story is. It's possible. Hopefully, we, you know, we'll, we'll find and talk about something like that down the line on this podcast, but, but we'll see. But yeah, you know, a voiceover is a good time. A flashback is a good time. Uh, yep. And this movie definitely has this. This movie is also very short. Yes. Which is also what makes it a great recommendation because you're, you're in and out and anyone can watch an hour long movie. It's like an hour eight, I think, you know, something 69 close to minutes. that. 69 yeah. minutes. Yep. Nice. Perfect. Like they say. Yes. Yep. So that is, a, that is a great running time. I mean, I'm of the mind of, hey, if I can get it out in an hour 20, perfect. This thing, even brisker. And there's not a wasted shot or uh, anything in it. 
And this is also based off of a book. It is. Um, who, this writer of the screenplay, Martin Goldsmith, also uh, wrote the book in mm-hmm. 1939. So this is years later called Detour, an Extraordinary Tale. Do you mm-hmm. know anything about the, the book? I know very little. I, I, do, I did find it interesting that he wrote the book and then he was a part of like, I think he was a part of actually adapting it for the film too. But I, yeah. I, know, that, I know that they cut out, it was mostly faithful from what I understand, but they cut out, I, I, I guess what they describe as the more erotic uh, sequences that were in, in, in Detour, um, which I feel like sure. they definitely allude to. I mean, obviously for the time period that this was made, they had to be a little bit, I guess, more picky and choosy about what they, what they could get away yes. with. But a lot of it was kind of like the wordplay, which, you know, it's, it's you know, I, I think of movies like, you know, the Bogey and Bacall movies where like, they kind of had that nice, like innuendo kind of conversation. And there's a, there's sure. a couple sequences when Vera and Al are cooped up and together and, and they're kind of, you know, kind of going at each other. And there's some, definitely some, some tension in there that kind of creates it. But I, I, but by and large, from what I understand, the, the novel's pretty, and the movie are pretty faithful to each other. Like, I think they're relatively close. I haven't read the book, but sure. from what I understand. Uh, if you've read the book, feel free to uh, get in touch with us. We'll, we'll have some contact information we'll edit in here at some point. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting uh, to get, yeah, somebody that's like an authority on like Raymond Chandler well, novels or, or something. We could also that, yeah. revisit ourselves if we find a copy. You know, the world is our oyster. We'll figure it out. Um, totally. So his girlfriend originally is named Sue Harvey, uh, played by Claudia Drake, the singer. Do you have any opinion about her and uh, her brief time in this movie? I think I, I there's that one sequence where it, it goes, and I think this plays into what we kind of talked about just a few moments ago, was the there's that one scene that kind of looks like almost like German expressionism, where it's he's he's thinking of when he's traveling from New York to California to meet up with Sue after she leaves because she's trying to make it make it big as a as an actress in uh california California. she you know he has this he has this this dream about her and there's like these shit night like these giant shadows of other you know members of a a band like a big band playing behind her and then you see her kind of in the forefront and it's just an amazing shot like i just that that was one of the first things i remember seeing in the film even the first time i saw it was like wow this is just a really fantastic you know shot and 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 again going back to like just you know the amount of time they they spent on this because there's a little bit of some varying degrees and stories about how long the actual production took especially for these 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 low budget films is you know you'd have to do these in like a week or two and there's some Mm -hmm. varying stories about how long the actual shooting uh took but roughly i think it was like about a week or so in, in actuality that took the film so the fact that you know, they were able to kind of get some of the shots they did, including something like this, to actually take time to do that, I thought was really interesting. I thought it was, they, yeah. they really kind of had an eye for it and, 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 you know, coming up with that, I think it's great. It's a confident movie for sure. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, he decides to head to California to hitchhike his way over there to meet up with her and, uh, and marry her, um, even though he has no money, as you can tell by hitchhiking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he makes it, pretty far from new york to arizona with no no problem no movies as far as we know uh he's traveling on no the map murders. he's traveling yeah. on, the, on that map <laughs> uh, classic like all right it's time to go and, and we follow the map uh, yep. it's good to see that that was still happening in, in 45 yeah and so he makes it to, to arizona what, what's arizona called state <laughs> sunshine state no that's florida Isn't yeah it? yeah it is florida i was thinking because I, I know their flag i think has like the sun on it i'm trying to think of well it is very hot there yeah i'm gonna look it up because now we have the internet here so i can there we go 
So he makes it to Arizona, and we will tell you what state that is in just a moment, uh, where he meets up with Mr. Haskell. Like nothing of it. Charles Haskell Jr. What a great name. Oh, it's perfect. Uh, played by Edmund, uh, another great name, McDonald. So, and, uh, so yes, yeah, Arizona, yeah, Arizona is known as the Grand Canyon State. Oh, that's <laughs> I'm not surprised by that one bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, makes perfect sense. And as, even in the movie, you're like, this is the Grand Canyon State. And he gets picked up by a Grand Canyon of a driver. Oh, man. Charles Haskell Jr., the first, or the second. The first we don't meet, but he is alluded to. He is, yes. He is He is a part of the plot throughout, pretty much. I mean, from the yeah. time he, meet, he meets uh, the Haskell Jr. to, the, to the, pretty much the end. I Yeah, I think his character is interesting. I think the fact that they don't really talk much right away. And then they, then he, they kind of start like, like he's like, Oh, I don't really like talking and it's good. And then, then he starts kicking in and then you kind of get a sense of, you know, who he is. And he, he seems kind of like, and as he describes a, a you know, a blowhard uh, at one yes. point. And I feel like that's a pretty good uh, d- description of him. Oh, just a minute. You're changed, sir. Keep it, sister. Oh, thank you, sir. Call again. I'll be waiting outside for you when you finish work. <laughs> um, you get that kind of sense that he's kind of like this very like swindling kind of, you know, talkative guy. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a fast talker, you know, uh, definitely a guy looking for rubes, I guess. He's on his way to Los Angeles because he's, he's asks, uh, he asks our, uh, our hero, Al Roberts, um, where is he going? He says, Los Angeles. He says, you're in luck. Go on, you can go all the way with me. He's going there to, to bet on a horse, he says. Which you, I think you find out later on that it just like, you know. What a, what a horse. Yeah. We find out later on. Uh, and he, he's popping pills too, right? It's important to know he is a pill popper. He is. Guy. Yes. And these pills uh, make him very sleepy, uh, which becomes a huge problem for him. So it starts pouring one night. And he allows Al to drive, uh, which is insane. But back in 45, you're picking up hitchhikers, letting them drive the car. Do what you got to do. There's a level uh, of trust somehow. Big I, time. I, I think it's just like because of the timing. Do you think timing. it's misplaced trust? Do you think he would have been better off if he never picked up this hitchhiker? Well, I think that's that that in of itself. I mean, that is the the, the whole overarching idea of the movie is this idea of fate and and him mm-hmm. getting kind of tangled in not only you know with Haskell, but Haskell has this relationship with Vera, and then once you know. He kind of, you know, Al Roberts kind of meets up with Haskell Jr. Then he meets up eventually with Vera and they're all kind of connected and meet up and, and end up hitchhiking. And it's just that that interesting idea of that this cosmic fate that kind of brings them all somewhat together at, at varying times. Fate. What a, what a crazy thing, huh? They put this stuff in the movies finally. Yep. Who would have thunk? <laughs> finally got there. So it's, they're driving in this convertible and it starts pouring i mean this car i gotta imagine is ruined from this <laughs> but he pulls over and this rain is not waking him up uh mr haskell jr not at all and uh when al goes around to open the door he falls out and, and hits his head on a rock and that's what kills him right yep and you then you start the hearing <laughs> yeah exactly and you start hearing could have went like, with an overdose but let's go with the rock well that's why that's what i was thinking about like i, I question if it seemed like he was dead before that like it, it felt to Absolutely. me, yeah. Like so, I you know I, I I get like later on, like right after that that takes place, the action of him, you know, falling out of the car and, and hitting his head on the rock. You know, you yeah. hear the wet rock. Exactly. You hear the These rocks are soaked. So it's it's very much. No, so. the the temperature and the the water level of the rocks. Um, you'll be hearing about that in every episode as well. Exactly. It's a, it's going to be a common theme. <laughs> <laughs> rock talk uh, you know that's the side uh, episode that's our wrap-up show rock talk 
We got six rocks and they are soaked to the bone. Join us, won't you? They're steaming. Uh, <laughs> steamed. I, I think that the um, the kind of inner monologue that he has where he kind of rationalizes out and kind of thinks out like the like what the consequences are of his actions of yeah. like how he's going to be perceived by others or the police or, or like, is he going to get away with this? And he kind of goes down these kind of these roads in, yes. in a way uh, of, of, you know, what Before should he taking do in a scenario. detour. Exactly. The lots, lots line, of detours. Of course. Lots yes, of detours. they say detour a lot of times in this movie. They say, oh boy, I guess we have to take the detour now. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, he rationalizes all of this very quickly. He's like, so just take his wallet and uh, assume his identity. And you're Charles Haskell Jr. now. And what does he do with the body? Do we know? He, t- he, put, he hides it in the brush. Sure. He like he like mo- he like moves it back. I think what what happens next is the most unbelievable thing to me is when the the uh the, the motorcycle cop drives up. And so it's pouring rain, and they don't have a police car. It's a guy on a motorcycle. And yes. and granted, I think this is this was probably shot in a, uh, on a um studio. This yeah. scene, and you see him kind of come up, and he doesn't have any type of rain gear whatsoever. Now, granted, like you know, I get it that he might not have it with him, but like just the idea of like, it's, it's pouring rain and he kind of pulls up on him and he's just got a motorcycle in the middle of nowhere. It just, it's, I don't know. It just seems it, that, that part always just seems a little bit funny to me when I ever, whenever yeah. I see that. I, I'm laughing my buns off. That's a and good he, time. And he, uh, and, he, and he lets him go pretty easily. Like he, he does like a brief questioning and then it just says, Oh, you got to get out of here. You know, it's, it's not safe. <laughs> yeah. He's like, ah, I just got caught in the rain myself. I need to go back and get some rain equipment. Exactly. He didn't have a coat. He didn't have anything. Oh, no, you're going to freeze out there. <laughs> he's not catching criminals. He's catching colds. <laughs> Amazing. This is, this is the good stuff. So he it. is like all in on taking this identity. He, fi- he finds a nice stack of, of bills and uh, he, he keeps on his way. He makes it, I believe he makes it all the way to California before meeting Vera, correct? He does. I think he just crosses the border. I think he Probably just Probably like the in. deserty. I'm not good with geography, but you know, you, you you get right from one desert to the next desert before you make it to the good part of California or the at least more uh, popular area. You know, I have no problem with deserts, of course. Exactly. Not trying to turn off our desert fans. Deserts are real cool. I think, I think, I think right before they meet. So he, he decides that, I mean, he's pretty fatigued. So he decides to, to get a a hotel room. Long night of murdering and driving and and all rain. Yes. So he gets a hotel room and he buys new clothes as well, I believe. No, he takes Haskell's clothes. So he, oh, that's he, right. So he, he, he assumes the identity of Haskell. 399. Yes. You must wear a man's clothes to be a man. And they have to be extremely high-waisted. Yeah. Extremely high-waisted, which I, I love. That, and I, I That's the only part. thing that's ever stopped me is just the low waist. Can't do it. I, Otherwise, I all, life a crime for me. I think about it all the time. Like, I, I you know, watching, you know, as, as a fan of, of films, you know, especially from that era, like, I, I think about how high the pants are. And like, oh my God, when is that going to come back? Because since fashion's so cyclical, Absolutely. like I'm waiting for like maybe like does it need to be me? Do I need the one? Do I need to be the one that starts that again? I don't know. Absolutely, you should definitely bring that back. Um, yeah, be I'm a big Robert Mitchum fan, and he is high waisted many a time. And yes, d- delightful. Just you cannot go high enough with him. I I definitely agree with that, and <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe that's part of like a character thing. I don't know. Maybe like. You definitely. I mean, obviously, a lot of a lot of men at the time had high waisted pants, but yeah, sure. I feel like in in many ways, I, I think as about, was the style at the time. Exactly, but I think about yeah. the ways that like what what I find interesting about the way that Tom Neal portrays Al because he kind of like has these like 
two sides of him where like he has like this vulnerability in a way, especially when yeah. he's traveling. But then, you know, he has this, this really like dark side, this really like, I wouldn't call it like an evil side, but he, he gets this very like, almost like a mean streak in him at times where he gets this, like this like pent up anger that like comes yeah. out throughout, it comes out at times throughout the film, even from the very beginning, you kind of get this, sure. this underlying sense, you know, all the well, way back to yeah, like, before the movie in start, the, starts, like at the very right, beginning. Right, in the beginning from the future, uh, it, uh, you know, he, he says, you know, stop, turn off the damn song that's playing in the jukebox. And, you know, he's a total Short fuse. people in the restaurant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, we, we do catch that right off the bat before we see him kind of, schlubby and walked all over um mm. and who's walking all over him uh our femme fatale who we, we meet uh after the motel scene uh vera you can call me vera if you like played by ann savage and she Amazing. <laughs> is the best uh there is no one better there, i she needs to be in every movie ever uh you know if we're gonna do cgi people like let's bring her back i think she, i think she was in a movie not that long ago um what's the name of that director uh, he's a Canadian director, and it was recently. It was like yeah, because she died two thousand eight, uh, according to my internet research. Yeah, and and, and on I, Christmas, that's a shame. Oh wow, eighty yeah. um, seven. Wow, yeah, but yeah, her performance is is amazing, and I, I and it really it really struck me. I mean, they they talk about it in 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 the dialogue, but I find it really cool that there is like this mirror effect almost when he asks her, you know, as, you know, Charles Haskell Jr. Now, Al is kind of taking his, his identity when he sees right. her at a gas station, when he's picking up gas. So now he becomes the guy that's driving. He picks up the hitchhiker, which he was before. And then right. she, she kind of, you know, doesn't right away jump on it, but she kind of eventually takes, you know, what she can get to get a ride. And no, she, she pretty in, much goes to sleep right off the bat. Right. Just like yeah. just like the actual real Haskell does, so in, yes. in in the seat, so she falls asleep, and he even mentions it, say, "Hey, I, I feel a little bit uncomfortable because you know she reminds me of Haskell because she's kind of you know almost like she's you know completely out of it or dead like he was, and he's having like these like quick flashbacks to you know just a little while ago when that guy died, and then she wakes up in a flash, and then it like it just dawns on her, like she just like snaps into it, and you yeah. see her face, and she just like." With that vitriol, she just like hits into it. Do you think this movie works without her? I don't know if it does. No. I'm not saying that it's a bad movie, but I mean, what makes it special and, and just elevates everything is her performance. I mean, anyone I've showed this movie to, I mean, that's 100%. the first thing that's remarked upon. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. She, she, 100%. Like the movie takes a true, I don't want to say detour, a, a true go. turn. Uh, how dare you say it? We have it. Uh, okay. A, a true detour, I think, really, I mean, that ultimately, that is that is the most major detour of the film. I mean, when he meets yeah. her, because that really shifts, I wouldn't even say his priorities, it just shifts his life into this other, you know, where he, he, he she basically, you know, entraps him into this scheme where, you know, he can't get out of it because she knows that he has, you know, killed or done something with the real Charles Haskell Jr., and she yeah. kind of takes advantage of that to get whatever she wants, money and, you know, whatnot out of this guy. And also companionship. I mean, you, you get this, you know, as she puts on this tough front throughout the film, she does, she also has this, this sense of vulnerability where there's times where, especially when she's drunk, you see it kind of come out more where she's vulnerable and she really wants that compassion and that companionship. Yeah. And uh, he well, kind and of Haskell had uh, like it. attacked her, like, yes. you know. 
And so, you know, he has scratches uh, when they're, you know, before his death, he has scratches on him that we see. Um, and it turns out they're from Vera from when, you know, she was trying to get away from his advances. And uh, so, you know, she's, she's ready for uh, a break and, and uh, sees it financially, you know, and why not take it? Uh, especially because at first they're just trying, they say, hey, let's stick together until we uh, sell the car. Well, really, she says it. And he goes along yeah. with it. But, uh, she's calling the shots. Yeah, so she's calling the shots from here on out. And, uh, and God bless her. We're all better for it. Um, <laughs> and so they, they're going to, to sell this car. Um, and before they do, uh, they, they rent an apartment in Hollywood. You know, they're finally there. And uh, you get a little bit of time uh, with them one-on-one in that uh, hotel and, or the apartment. And uh, it's great. Yeah. No, and, that's and, where I think that's the best stuff. And I think it, it really does play into the limitations. It's that, you know, obviously, the, you know, with the budget, um, you kind of get into these like little like, it almost becomes like a play, like it comes like this little chamber yeah. thing where they're, they're in this together. And then you see some of the, the, the bubbling, you know, tensions, you know, throughout throughout the times where they're together, especially when they're in tight, you know, quarters at that apartment, because like, they, they even mentioned, like, there's no TV, there's no yeah, they don't even have magazines like they, they have nothing really to do but kind of smoke and drink and talk i mean that's pretty yeah. much all they can do and and it really kind of brings up these 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 different uh you know tentious scenes um and i, I think i before before we move forward i want to mention that sure. something that that makes me laugh every time is the way he says uh miami when he says miami <laughs> I, I just think it's really fascinating that that it's mentioned that way a couple of times i think i think al says it miami <laughs> mama I don't know what accent that is, though. I don't think that's a New York accent. So that, that's what I think you know, that's what's it, puzzling about it. In 1945, Miami was brand new. No one had heard of it. So, you know, it, it could be forgiven. We, we, ch- we chalk it up to the, the newness. Like I said, I was there. I remember. And I was like, my mama. That's just, that's just how you said it back then. That's just how we said it at the time with our high-waisted. You know, that's what it was. It was just cutting us off. Yes, the diaphragm. Mama. Yeah, the di- di- it cut into the di- diaphragm, and, and that's what caused yes, that. that. That was actually how they marketed the pants. Uh, cut into your diaphragm, go high waist. <laughs> say, say words differently that you would not normally yes. praise them. Hey, listen here, see? You're trying to take things up a notch? Bring it up from the crotch. High-waisted <laughs> pants. Now for sale, your local pants dealer. It was great. It was a great time. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make these it. These memories a will thing. keep coming about. You know, it's been a long time, so talking about it brings everything back. Hundred <laughs> percent. It was, yeah. <laughs> Mama. Uh, so yeah, that's great. Uh, great, great scenes between the two of them. Um, uh, she goes. I'm first in the bathtub. I don't know why. But I figured you would be. And then he goes, I don't know why, but I figured you would be, which is a, a great part. I love that. Great, great sequence. Uh, just, I could listen to Vera lines forever. Uh, just well written, well acted, uh, well directed. Yeah, and she just, and she can, she can turn it up and turn it down. Like, it, like I said, there's, yeah. that, there's those levels of like the little bit of hints of vulnerability where she could have these like quick bursts of just like, wow. Like she just like really just like, you know, spits out fire, you know, like, like out of nowhere yeah. sometimes. And you're like, wow, this the is spit just like, fire, if you will. Yes, exactly. She's um, a real pistol. All right. Uh, she worked, uh, it looks like she'd had a good chunk of filmography by the time she got to detour, but also like had started in 1943 and then this is 1945. So it was a lot of work between then. I'm sure just like little bit parts. She, she came in very confident. Uh, confidence is, is the biggest compliment you can give to her. A confident woman. 
Yes. So then they go to sell the car and everything's going great up until the question of insurance. You should, if you ever are trying to sell a dead person's car, you need to know a, a name of insurance, drop a Geico, a progressive, you know, tell them. <laughs> Make up a name. Sense. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Just, yes, exactly. Like, oh, it's a local business. Anything. Yeah. Detour Industries. You know, that could have been a great time for the titular line. But uh, in Miami, instead, uh, yeah, it was, it was Ma- an insurance. Ma- Mama, Mama Insurance, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Mama Motors. Miami. So, but in that time, Vera is looking in the glove compartment at long last and uh, finds that there is a better uh, grift ahead. And let's not sell the car. Let's listen to the newspaper for once. And what does that newspaper tell us, my friend, Dan? It tells him that, uh, I think at that point, he he had died? That Carl Haskell's dad had died or he was dying? I think he was, he was dying. And they're trying yes. to find uh his son they were trying he to was, look, yes he was dying and they're trying to find the son because they say let's wait about wait it out till he dies because right. you know they didn't want correct. to be recognized with this false uh haskell correct and are you a leave it to beaver man i am do you, does the haskell ever get you in this it does at least when i'm doing a, a podcast about it and saying it over and over again i hadn't thought about it till now when you mentioned it but eddie haskell is is <laughs> one, of the, haskell. One, of the, one of the best r.i.p uh, well, i believe we lost him uh, in 2020 yes yes very very and, and talk about a character that really elevates a show like like yeah. like just like the duality of his character is, is incredible in that show and I, yeah i grew up loving that that show when i was a yeah. kid so he, he was the vera of uh leave it to beaver for sure yes <laughs> <laughs> you could say that um i and i often do and everyone knows what i'm talking about too, exactly uh, you know Tune into our uh, Leave It to Beaver podcast uh, that will be debuting after this episode. Yeah, hey, I'm, I want to talk about the episode <laughs> the when, he gets, when he gets to the episode where he's in the uh, coffee cup at the, the do- <laughs> at the at the top when he gets stuck in the uh, uh, on the, the large billboard. coffee cup. Yeah, on, on the on the billboard. So again, talking yeah. about large coffee cups. You, you love large uh, coffee cups. I've never had a, a a drink of coffee in my life. Actually, fun fun fact. I'm about also me. not a fan of uh, of the brown. Uh, I like the smell, but not the taste. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Yeah, like I, so. I, I hope you can trust two people who do not drink coffee with your podcast recommendations. I was gonna say I don't know if we're gonna lose a, a segment of the fan base. Yeah, we're clearly not the tough guys. We're the Al Roberts getting bossed around by the Vera. Uh, Vera is the coffee, and we're just you know here to smell it. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite the analogy. Um, Thank you. I I really do like that. Um, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so quote. so Vera then. You know, she cooks up this plot to try to basically have Al Roberts wait out Haskell Senior's death, and then let's pretend to be him and and collect. Exactly. Which I was thinking about last night for the first time when I was watching it is that I get it that he's there, and then he's already been kind of playing this role as Charles Haskell Junior. But couldn't she have just found somebody else if if he if he really was just like you know what you can have the car you can sell it. You can do whatever. Find somebody else. I'll give you all of his identification. Just find somebody on the street that fits a rough description, and then you be Charles Haskell Jr. and go do that. Like, is is it really because? Well, maybe they didn't think about it, but or also just like she really likes him and wants to be connected to him. I I, I don't I know. Think I feel like she has an attachment to him. A possibility. I mean, you know, she she came on to him, and you know, she had rebuffed yes. other advances. Um, so you know, there is that. But also, I mean, I think she had been coming from a rough time of it. And um, this guy is real easy to kind of push around. Um, You know, maybe uh, that doesn't mean that she doesn't like him, but she definitely 
has a good handle on him and, and can control him. So, you know, why ruin a good thing? You know, you, you, this is going so well. You already got him to do all this. And you know what? He does go along with it for the most part. Besides that. That's, that's, besides that, yes. And, 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 and besides the, the ham sandwich that he ordered at the drive-in drive that once he heard the story, he decided that he wasn't hungry and didn't want to eat. Of course, which we've all been there. You know, you think you're on a ham sandwich, but you don't want a ham sandwich. And a cup of coffee. I don't, I don't know. No. That just doesn't seem good to me. Good combination. Try, yeah, and it seems like everyone's always drinking coffee and eating ham sandwiches. And it just, you know, that's not my world. Yeah, not, not my scene. No, that's why I left 1945. See? Yep, you had to get out. I did. Thrown out, even. So I guess we should probably talk about the, uh, the very amazing ending because i think this i think that the way the way it's filmed it, it you know again for such a low budget film and you know probably not a lot to work with for most of it i, I think what they're able to do with such a i guess i don't want to say a simple you know ending but it, it really it kind of bubbles up to this point and you know this boiling point and then you know this instance happens and then the way it's kind of shot from there on out you're like wow like they were able to do so much with so little in kind of capturing this mood of, of what goes yeah. on at the end. And I guess maybe if you want to talk about what happens, um, you know, at the very end. Well, they're, they're back at the apartment mm -hmm. uh, and uh, some spirits have been drank. Uh, mm -hmm. Alcoholic coffee, I'm sure. Yes. Some um, words are they, said. <laughs> some words are said. And um, she threatens to call the cops and just gives the whole thing up. I'm really doing you a favor. I help you out of a jam by keeping my mouth shut. I show you how to make some soft money. And what thanks do I get? Thanks? Sure. I would you rather call the cops and tell them you killed a man and stole I his didn't money? Tell yes, you did. No, I didn't. You know I didn't. All right, then. Suppose I call the cops. Pure innocent, what do you got to be scared of? Okay. Call them, you mud. Go ahead and call them. See if I care. At least they'll give me a square deal. You want me to call them? You heard me. But I'm warning you. If I'm pinched, I'll swear you were in on it. I'll say that you helped me. If I fry, I'll get even with you. You wouldn't dare. You didn't. Yeah? Then try it and see. Call him. Yeah. Okay, I will. And uh, she calls the operator and gets the number for them, uh, which was nice of them to give, mm -hmm. instead of a direct uh, connect. But, um, and she runs into the bedroom uh, with the phone. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is a time where phones had uh, cords. A very long cord. <laughs> very long cords. Um, you know, that's, you check your, when you rent an apartment, you check the cords. You want to make sure it has a good length. You know, you're taking that phone into the bathtub or into the kitchen. Everywhere. Sure the, Out into the you hallway. Know, <laughs> you know, when you're shopping for high-waisted pants, you stop by the cord store and, you know, you, you measure them out. Yep. If it reaches all the way up to the high waist, you got you got yourself a good cord. You're in, you're in, in inseam is all all there with the, the cord. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it makes sense to me. And uh, so she uh, is on the bed or falls to the bed um, with the the cord around her neck. Yes, I think I think it's so. Yeah, it's very much like in this kind of like drunken like she kind of like I don't want to say tumbles, I got a little caught up into it. Kind of caught like, up in it. She's not really tangled. aware of it as much. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. It didn't seem like an intentional uh, cord necking for sure. Yes. And Al on the other side of the door, uh, he he pulls on that cord uh, to try to get it from the phone to stop this uh, cop calling. And uh, <laughs> yep, boy, boy, do hijinks ensue. Is his face red? After yes. After what he does. So what does he do? And he 
pulls the cord and to the point where it, it jokes her and she uh she's dead so he has she to dead. he has to contend with that and 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 that gets to like what i was talking about with like the way the camera is where it kind of like kind of gives you a perspective of like maybe like the stupor that he's in where he's like realizing like all oh, that she's she's dead and that at his hands and it's another person he's you know basically accidentally killed um you know yes it, through through this entire detour um you know that you know, over this time and it's and and in talking about this I, I think about how much phones are actually a big thing in this movie like even from the very beginning like uh once sue leaves to california he calls uh her on the on the payphone from new york yeah. and uh it starts off with like the long distance where you have like the you know the telephone operators are kind of putting in like you know it's like this long yeah that's where, right like, through the telephone, the line. Blows my mind. It. You, you had to be such like, and how long was that a job for you think? Like something um, you had to be a complete expert in. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, we well, don't need you to like plug and unplug things anymore. I think at least through like switchboards like that, I think still existed through yeah. the seventies in some form. Wow. It, yeah. Like I think it, at least sixties, like it, it had to, I would say. I'm not an expert we'll have on an phones, answer for that soon. Yeah. yeah. Check our I, social media. Sure. Yes. <laughs> the hot the hot hot button talk you know you know t- talking pieces like you know telephone switchboards yes all the kids are talking about them these days we will be at our switchboards waiting to hear about what you think of switchboards yes um <laughs> and uh so yes and then you know throughout the film i mean there, there's even a scene so that where, ra- wait that raises the question could this movie happen uh with cell phones now would it I, have to be a, a strong phone charger or something yeah, I, I think that's interesting. I, I you know, I, I, I think about that a lot, probably more than I should think about, like how much having a cell phone would affect a film plot, like overall, yeah. like like how a movie, like I think about a movie like, you know, even like Home Alone, like if you had a cell phone and you could text, hey, are you okay? And then, you know, Macaulay Culkin writes <laughs> yeah. back, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, and, and, and that's much time the whole time. Exactly, like, I, and I feel like that, you know, there's, there's some movies that definitely would benefit from uh, that, but. They're remaking it, so you know what? They're gonna have to contend with that impossible question. So, you know, good luck, Disney. I know you need it. Uh, Wait, are they really remaking that? I didn't even hear that. Yes, we're, wow. we're breaking it here first. Um, they are remaking it. I believe there's even a cast announced. Uh, let's see what we got. Is Macaulay Culkin in it? <laughs> yeah, I believe uh, they they gave him a little uh, scratch to to come on back. This is uh this is who we got. Yeah, Macaulay Culkin returns as uh, Kevin McAllister. Yeah, Rob Delaney, uh, Ellie Kemper, Keenan Thompson, Chris Parnell, Pete oh, Holmes, wow. a lot of SNL people on here. Mikey Day. That's interesting. Yeah, it's going to premiere on Disney Plus uh, as everything does because we now live in a streaming service. Um, you know. You may think we're being nostalgic about all these old movies, but we're about to be nostalgic about uh, movies being released in theaters and all of these things. Uh, what a concept. We can be paranoid about. Yes, it is crazy. <laughs> um, so buy physical media is always going to be uh, the biggest message of this podcast. We like Blu-rays. We like it to look as good as possible. But of course, you know, just when you want to talk about a movie, you should be able to watch it if you need to, <laughs> you know, on demand by putting in a disc. Uh, it's a great time, you know. Of course, we all love uh, accessibility, but it's nice to have a library. And 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 a lot of the extras too. I mean, you, you know, whether it's Criterion or, or or not, like you know, you usually get uh, you know, sometimes an essay with it. You get bonus features where you have people talking about. It. You get to learn the backstories, yeah. and that's how I've learned so much about you know films I like is is hearing you know some of these backstories and talking about the directors, talking about the actors. 
you know, just getting a different perspective on things, having scholars talk about them to kind of help you think about it critically and, and, and think just about like it from us, a different scholars. perspective. Yes. Wait till we're, uh, we're on the commentaries of a future noir movie. We were very excited for that. Uh, yes. To be, to be telling you facts that we, we learned. Um, yeah, no, it, it's cool. I mean, even if it's bare bones, I'm just happy it exists. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, and especially with this movie, like you know, the fact that they that they released it, that Criterion released it, and and did such a fantastic job as they always do. Um, yeah, I just I couldn't be happier. I think I want to mention Absolutely. before before I forget, I'd say probably my favorite scene in this movie. And, and at first, it, it it's it seems very hokey when you watch it, especially if it's the first uh-huh. time. But the sequence in the very beginning where uh, Sue and Al are walking out of the nightclub where they work together. And, and they walk out into this fog and, he, and he's walking her home. And it's fairly obvious that they're on a very, very, very bare bones, cheap uh, studio set. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of fog, so it masks it. And, and I love it. Like, I, I, love, I love that it's hokey. Like, I, I, I love Ingenuity. That, exactly. Like, like that's, that's, you know, a much better word for it. But that, that's exactly right. Like, the, the, the idea is that, you know, again, doing so much with so little, like, that you, know, you basically just see like this gigantic street sign and you see like a horse and buggy, you know, carriage and you see all these things and you see like a little bit of like yeah. some trees in the background, but they really does a, does a nice job to, you know, add an atmosphere to it. it. It's kind of creepy too. It's a little bit weird and it kind of puts you in this weird, almost dream world. And I, I think it, it does yeah. kind of lend itself too. So it's like on one end, it's like, you know, obviously from a production standpoint, it was obviously a lot you know, cheaper and they felt like they could pull it off better with that. But on the other side, it's like, wow, it's, it kind of really is an artistic choice and really works whether it was that conscious or not. Like it was very much, it could have been just a, you know, simply a happy accident. Um, but like I said, I mean, when you actually look really closely to it, when you, especially when you see on the 4k scan, you're like, Oh wow. Like this is you know, a very, that was probably something bones. that benefited from the, uh, the gritty uh, YouTube uh, pixelation. For yes. Sure. Or the alpha video DVD that I had. That was the first thing I had. It was like, you know, very nice, v- very low budget, you know, public domain release that they had put out. Yep. But yeah, uh, you know, like we said at the beginning, shout out just, to public domain though. Uh, I love, I love a good public domain. Keep losing rights to stuff. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, just like those Three Stooges shorts, there's always like, there's like four Three Stooges shorts that are in public domain. They're the ones that like, yeah. are constantly out and about in like whatever format. Any channel. Or like, yes. Yep. The, um, the Superman uh, Fleischer shorts are like that too. Like some yeah. DC so, somehow is unable to own them completely. And so every, anyone can make a version. And someone should make the best Blu-ray version of that ever because it's yes. possible. And I would like to own it. Yes. And cool. uh, we, we'll do that commentary as well. Um, so... She is dead. Mira is dead. And, uh, you know, the movie is, uh, it's, we miss her for sure. Uh, but it, there's only like a minute left after that. Uh, so he gives up on Sue, um, which do you think uh, Sue even liked this guy? Do you think you liked, she liked Al? She kind of bailed on him. Yeah, that's something I tried to, I tried to grapple with a lot every time I watch it is, is, is you know, I try to understand the, the, the logic or the, 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 the pathos of, you know, he, he, he really, you know, is following her to essentially the ends of the earth to, to try to, 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 you know, get back to her. So she leaves him right off the bat and right away. You, you try to, you question like how close the relationship actually is. You know, I, I get a sense that she does love him, but I don't know how much. And, and obviously the, and by me, I mean, the audience doesn't really know, but I, but at, at the end of the film, does he really feel like it's, you know, 
he can't reconcile what he's done with her. Like, you know, th- this idea that, um, you know, whether he actually would go back to her or not, like he feels like he can't go back to her. Like that he, that he, he's just like, you know what? Like, I'm no good. I like, I'm no good for her. I'm just going to, you know, start making my way back East. Cause he starts traveling back East uh, at the yeah. point of Nevada where he's in that diner, which is where the, the movie starts. We start. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and the irony that he mentions is the fact that, you know, uh, since he embodied this, this, you know, this act of being Charles Haskell Jr., um, when he leaves the, essentially the scene of the crime and Vera is found, you know, she was claiming to be his wife, you know, being Haskell's wife. So they're looking for Haskell. They're not looking for Al Roberts. So he's basically off, you know, scot-free. But, you know, thinking about endings too, you know, the idea of, you know, talking about earlier with the, the, you know, the- Could argue a dream sequence here, yeah. I keep trying to forget what happened and wonder what my life might've been if that car of Haskell's hadn't stopped. But one thing I don't have to wonder about, I know. Someday a car will stop to pick me up that I never thumbed. Yes, fate or some mysterious force can put the finger on you or me for no good reason at all. Yeah, because like like it does leave it a little bit open ended, but it basically alludes to, I you don't you don't know if he actually is picked up by the police, but I think it comes back to that that whole code ideal of you know at the time with the production code of you know someone that was a quote unquote you know bad guy or or someone that murdered something or somebody did something that objectionable had to pay for that crime in in some way shape or form usually some type of incarceration or death or you know there's cer- that certain right. closure to it that that you know, was very much prominent with a lot of film noir and a lot of movies in general, you know, that had this type of moral, you know, dilemma. But this puts it into question. It puts it into question, like, it's, it's saying, like, you know, it's eventually going to happen to him, but it doesn't, right. even though, and it shows it, but did it actually happen? Could have been as an old man, you know? Maybe yeah. he uh, had Alzheimer's by this point and he didn't even remember and He's reflecting he got on away with it. Is how I like to uh, think of it. So he's remembering nice his younger choose your own adventure ending, you know. But also, like in a way that doesn't feel like a ripoff, but you could imagine a happy life for him, uh, which he does not deserve. With or without Sue. <laughs> yes, exactly. Maybe Sue, uh, perhaps uh, all of her parts were the uh, eroticism from the novel, so they had to leave her out. You know. Yeah, I wonder. And that's why he was uh, going from New York to California because ooh, what a lady. He had to come back. Yeah, he, just, he had to follow her. He had to, yeah, he had to meet, meet yeah. back up with her. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, but overall, like I mean, I think it's just it's such a a well, you know, it's it's so fast. Like the movie's so fast. Like I feel like it just kind of it goes and it hits, you know, everything you want in a film noir. Like it, like you said at the beginning, it's just like you know, it, it hits all of these tropes and all of these um, you know common things that you would find in you know most noirs or a lot of noirs. There's a diner scene. I think all good noirs have a diner scene. Yes. Or a restaurant of some sort. Multiple diner scenes. Is that an official trope? Yeah. I mean, there's uh, what? In the Killers, there's the the diner. um, Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm thinking out of the past, too. There's a diner scene, uh, which we'll get into when we get to that episode, because it has maybe my favorite line of the entire movie. There's, yeah, I feel like it's a lot. It definitely is. is, And and as a, as a, 
on a personal level, as a huge fan of diners, um, I, I definitely appreciate that uh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Maybe we it's, should do- it's just cool to see old stuff like that and double indemnity. Like when they go or they're in the grocery store, that was like one of my favorite parts. Like weirdly enough, it was just like, wow, look at this old grocery store. That's cool. That whole scene's great where they stop yeah. talking for a little bit. And yeah, I don't want to go too much into that one, but yeah, yeah I'm sure we'll yeah, never yeah, do yeah. that episode. Uh, never. Why yeah, would we? Yeah. <laughs> what? I've never seen, who's seen such a movie. Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, Detour, I guess that's basically it. Um, here's a fun fact I just found. Uh, Charles, Charlie Hask, Haskell's car, I couldn't get that out for some reason, mm-hmm. um, was a 1941 Lincoln Continental V12 convertible. So there you go. For our car heads, our gear heads out there, just a yes. little bit of gear information for you. I do Sorry love cars in that era. Wait so long. Yeah, yeah, cars from that era are great. Any 30s, Definitely. 40s, like that round, that you know, these these gigantic uh, yes. car bodies. Just, yeah, I just I, I love them. Huge shapes, monoliths, just driving. <laughs> that airstream, like I, you know, idea where it's just very, just like you know, it's rounded, and I, I love it. I'm a big big fan. Um, yeah, it's just a can't can't say enough good things about this. Like I, this is like 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 we said, it's it's a movie that just it's so quick and easy to watch. Uh, it's yeah. got everything like, and, and, and I was looking up, uh, beforehand cause I, I wanted to see if I could find a, a um, a, I, I don't know if I would call it a good review, but I, I found, I found a review on Amazon that I thought was a little bit funny. So I, I, uh, this is, this, oh, yeah, I, was, right. I would say this is a, maybe a, a detraction from what we would, would say. So this, this was a, a one star out of five star review on Amazon and it's titled, what, a, wait, when was it from? It was from 2019. December. Okay, so, so so very recent. This is the new print. They had no reason not to uh, love this movie for five stars, other than their personal taste. Let's hear all about it. Yes. Um, so this is what they wrote: "A treasure this ain't." As <laughs> as a pulp short story, this plot would be barely tolerable. This oh. is just about what you get, as the voiceover narration is relentless. The low budget film is kind of bargain basement. The only bright spot is the wild overacting of the female lead. She's sort of demented, but why this is such a triumph is beyond me. One star out of five. Quite, quite a review. I disagree with that, uh, but you know, they, they felt like they knew what they were talking about. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I, you know what? It's, 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 it's one of those things where like, I get it from, you know, maybe a perspective of if you haven't seen a, a film noir or, if you're not a fan of older movies or black and white movies, I, I know some people are just not, you know, into that. And that's, you know, obviously that's, that's, uh, you know, if you're not into it, that's, yeah. that's fine. But I, I guess think, we've been saying yeah. like how this is a, a good introduction. I don't know if I necessarily say this is the first movie in like noir you should watch. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously it sounds like Double Indemnity is the one you open with uh, yes. based off of our experience. But you know, you, I think it's like maybe the fifth to 10th movie you see. Yeah. Um, you know, by the time you kind of see if this is for you, um, it's, you know, it's an essential. Um, but yeah, I'd be curious, of course, to know if this person likes old movies or, I mean, you know, they had to have if they tried it, but yeah, it could have been someone, you know, who just gets everything criterion and just didn't like this one. Or maybe they thought it was some other movie. Like, <laughs> like maybe, maybe yeah. they thought it was like a... I think I saw movie. there was like another detour from more recent times. Well, one is a remake. it's public domain. Oh, is it really? Yeah, and it was. I think it was made by uh, Tom Neal's son, or he's he's in it or something. There's some connection oh, wow. with Tom Neal's son. Tom Neal Jr. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. 
and Leah Lavish, uh, who I don't know who that is, but that's a cool name. Because I think I, I read somewhere that uh, whoever, was make, yeah, whoever was making the film had invited and and uh, to Sad. come back in into the into that movie, and she declined. I think oh, I think they like her. tried to offer her a role in it, and she turned it down. Nice, that's a good call. Probably because it was uh, produced, written, and directed by someone named Wade Williams, <laughs> who's who's gone on to make had an illustrious career in in uh, film noir remakes. I, I I imagine. Yes, I mean he is unclickable on Wikipedia, uh, so unfortunately, we're just left to ponder what Wade Williams has given us. Yes, neo noir. We'll have or, to do a follow up uh, episode about about <laughs> about that. Yes, or maybe probably uh, not. <laughs> I, you know, it, it could be fascinating enough, but you know, again, Wade Williams, unclickable on Wikipedia, and that's always a sure sign of quality. Most definitely. We will write the Wikipedia article on Wade Williams. You have twisted <laughs> our arms, folks. Check back in. By the time this episode's over, you will click on Wade Williams, and what a treasure trove of uh, Williams information you will get. Of, of noir remakes, of him remaking, you know, Out of the Past, Double Indemnity, Maltese yes. Falcon. I mean, maybe that's what this review, you know, I guess we were saying that's what this review was about, so. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I got, a, I think it was actually off of the, um, I think I, I just clicked on the first detour thing that came up, which was, I think was a stream of it. So I, I, I wonder if, if it okay. was, if it was maybe So it could like, have been the, uh, the, the public domain version. Yeah, it could have been I'm surprised like there isn't, a detour on like all streaming services. Like it's weird that there's like Netflix doesn't do their remaster and stuff like that. I don't know. You would think like Night of the Living Dead, like all the famous uh, public domain stuff. Like how come everyone doesn't like have that in their library? Just be like, it's here. Yeah, it's here. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. I wonder. Totally. Totally. Um, I, I think that uh, pretty much wraps it up on detour. Unless you have any final thoughts. Obviously it sounds like we recommend this movie that we don't really have. I don't have anything bad to say about it at all. Honestly. No. I, I, I was th- I was trying to think about that too. I was, uh, you know I, I try to also be you know uh, objective and and try to you know remove myself at least a little bit uh, when explaining it because I understand that yeah I mean it is a low budget film I, you know I, I definitely want to you know make that known that yeah there's obviously some limitations and if you're used to these you know maybe larger budget films and you're expecting these you know lavish you know uh, cinematography you know there's almost like hitchcock kind of you know swooping scenes you're not going to get that here but you're going to get this like yeah. super low budget but it's just gritty uh film like if you want that and that real kind of like just grimy kind of vibe to it uh and it's out in the open too and, and like we said earlier it's out and out and you know a lot of times in the sunshine and, and traveling you yeah. know it's it's just it's different it's it's very unique and yes i would definitely recommend it. i think you kind of hit the nail on the head with the you know i'd say top five top ten uh, maybe, yeah. especially if you're getting into it, you know, early on, uh, I mean, may, maybe not the first movie, but, you know, just because of how quick it is and how, you know, yeah, like that runtime is yeah. such a selling point. It, yeah. it really is. It jaws you in, throws you out and you're like, wow, like what, 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 what just happened? <laughs> yeah. You kind of, you know, you kind of get engrossed in and then before you know it, it's, it's done. And, and yeah, I, I love it for that. How about just you? like just like the episode of this podcast yeah i i love it um and i honestly like this new restoration has made me love it even more um it, it was just a movie that was always enjoyable but just having it in a way that you can fully experience it you know visually and sound wise 
it's great. So thank you, George Lucas, for uh, the restoration. This is the greatest thing you've given pop culture, um, in my opinion. So wow, that's a, that's quite a statement. I mean, I who would disagree? What what else has this man done? I, I barely heard of him other than this movie. Foundation he, mo- he has. I, th- I think he did a movie called uh, American Graffiti. I think he's known for. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sure. And, and, and he had a film called THX 1138 too, I think that were pretty, that was yeah. pretty sci-fi. That was like his only like sci-fi foray, but. Red, Red Hawks. Wasn't that what that movie was called? It might've been. I think, I think <laughs> Red, you're thinking of Howard Red the Tails? Duck. You're, you're thinking oh, of Howard yes. the Duck. I think that's what you're thinking of. <laughs> yes. The World War II era movie, Howard the Duck. Uh, that probably would have been a better movie. Um, Hey, I, I love that movie. I, I just want to mention that I, I have, I have, a, I have a, a fondness for that movie. I do as well, but of course, I will say, read Steve Gerber's Howard the Duck run from the 1970s before the character was stolen from him. It is fantastic. Uh, also, a uh, fun note about uh, Howard the Duck. In the 90s, uh, Steve Gerber wrote a crossover with Spider-Man and Howard the Duck where they walk into a building and then leave. And then in another independent comic, he wrote, he had that same scene in a, his comic where they stole Howard the Duck from Marvel and replaced him with a fake character. Oh, wow. That's very, that is awesome. So shout out to Steve Gerber, RIP, read Howard the Duck, watch Howard the Duck. That's what we're trying to say. That's here. what I was trying to say. You know, Detour, if you got time, if you got 69 minutes, go for it. But Howard the Duck is a film that stands the test of time. Yes. I never thought we'd get from Detour to Howard the Duck, but here here we are it happened organically from, and from d to h baby it <laughs> happened organically all right guys that's gonna do it for us here on out of the podcast come back next week we are gonna watch the postman always rings twice there's one thing we could do that would fix everything for us what pray for something to happen to nick something like that Cora. Well, you suggested it yourself once, didn't you? I was only joking. Were you? Yes, I was. Or had you started to think about it a little? Maybe I said it, but I didn't really mean it. Well, I say it again now, and I do mean it. Frank, Frank, listen to me. I'm not what you think I am. I've made a big mistake in my life, and I've got to be this way just once to fix it. They hang you for a thing like that. Oh, but not if you do it right. And you're smart, Frank. You'll think of a way. Plenty of men have. He never did any harm to me. But darling, can't you see how happy you and I would be together here without him? I've been waiting a long time for that kiss. <laughs> when we get home, Frank, then there'll be kisses. The kisses with dreams in them. Kisses that come from life, not death. I hope I can wait. Neither of us have seen this movie, so try to come in blind with us. I mean, of course, watch the movie before listening. But uh, I think it's hopefully a good time. People like it. I hope so. <laughs> uh, not the remake, right? Didn't they remake this as well? They did. Uh, I've never yeah. seen either. We'll get, and- we'll get into that. I don't know if we're going to watch both of them, but we'll definitely uh, talk about it. 
yeah, I think it's I'm, it's also funny that we, it's both a movie that you know has kind of eluded both of us because it's such a, yeah. a, a you know a staple of of film noir and it just it, I just never got around to I, watching it. Sometimes the most obvious. I gotta ones live ones. my life, Dan. I don't have time for nonstop noir. Uh, <laughs> I I do my best, and you know that's the beauty of this podcast. I think we're gonna fill a lot of holes with it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Was that the right way to put it? Maybe not how I would have put it, but. <laughs> okay. Well, I was the one talking, wasn't I? So that's the risk you get. Uh, all right, guys. We will see you next week. Uh, oh, do we have anything like shout out? We do stuff. We're creative people. Um, I've got nothing. <laughs> Yo. Uh, I mean, we, I, I run a record label called Sledge People. Uh, it's tapes. And uh, Dan, we did a release together this oh, year. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we could briefly talk about that. Yeah. Uh, live um, at the Bradwell House. Yeah, Live at the Gravel House, uh, live album, uh, yeah. band I've had for exactly. 10 years. And uh, yeah, just thankful that we, you know, we've been able to collaborate. The, and and the 10 more, man. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm down. And this 10-year podcast will do. Somehow okay. we're going to do extra years. By the time you even get to 20 years, we'll be a 30-year podcast. It's going to be great. Yes. That's what happens when you have an, an immortal. The 30-year the, the podcast. Bit. Yes, the 30 podcast. Um, so check that out. Uh, you know, we're working on new stuff. It's a new year. This is 2021 by the time you heard this. Uh, so yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Bye, guys. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you love social media like we love social media, gee golly, we can't get enough of this stuff. Find us on your favorite platform. We're on Twitter at Out of the Cast. And also Facebook and Instagram at Out of the Podcast. You can also email us at the real out of the podcast at gmail.com. Bye.